true mission of marketing is to deliver that value to a target market at a profit, meaning delivering value is important. So he calls it not beyond mind share and beyond heart share. It goes to what he calls spirit share, where you're creating a trust and a relationship with a potential consumer. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Robert Rose, founder at The Content Advisory. Robert Rose is a sought-after consultant, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and one of the world's most recognized content strategy and marketing experts. We will discuss running profitable marketing, with content-driven customer experiences. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Hey, Robert, how are you doing? I am doing great, Das. How are you? How are you? It's so great to be on your show. Yeah, absolutely. I am incredibly honored, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much. So let's get right into it. And I know a lot of people know who you are, but maybe there are some upcoming marketers that don't know. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your background and role? Sure. It's a long story. I'm an old guy, Dots. Basically, I've been in marketing for the last 25 or so years. I started in television, actually, working when cable TV was still a cool thing. And then quickly in the early dot-com era, got into the dot-com and building websites and working on mostly content strategies for media companies and for bigger organizations that were trying to figure out what this whole web thing was all about. And then after that, I got um, into, uh, I was a CMO of a software company for about eight years. And it was there that I inadvertently sort of built a content marketing team and a content marketing strategy without even knowing what it was. While I was speaking at a conference, I met this friend of mine, Joe Polizzi, who was talking about this thing called content marketing and going all over the world and talking about it. And he and I met and we started talking about it because he came out of the media business. He came out of publishing and I was coming from it from the marketing practitioner side. And we just had a lot to talk about. So we ended up getting into this organization and forming this company called the Content Marketing Institute. And basically I served as the chief strategy officer there from the very beginning through to its acquisition in 2016. And then in 2016, after it was acquired, I basically, the acquiring company came in and said, we like you, we want you to stay, but we don't like anything you do. We don't like consulting or we don't like training or anything like that. So do you want a job? And I said, no, why don't I just keep doing what I'm doing, which is training and consulting and working with clients to help them figure out content marketing and content strategy And ultimately, I basically formed my own little company at that point, which is what I do today, leading this small consulting firm to work with clients on helping them figure out the operationalizing of content marketing, content strategy, and how it can help to create better customer experiences. 
And along the way, I host a podcast and have written a few books and all of those kinds of things as well. But that's content is where I live and breathe every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And we will be looking to some of the details on the books and some of the other things that you've done here. But we have to start with this, Chief Troublemaker. You know, that was a title that when I left the software company that I was the CMO of, I started, I hung up my own shingle. And so I was my own little consulting firm for about 20 minutes before I got to work with Joe, my friend Joe at Content Marketing Institute. And while I was there and making that transition, I wanted to give myself a title that honestly came from... So one of my old bosses going way, way back, one of my old bosses was this Australian guy. And he always used to teach us. He said, look, just remember, this is just marketing, right? We're not curing cancer here. We're not, we're not doing anything. We shouldn't take ourselves so seriously. And that's something that I've just lived by is that if we're having fun, if we're enjoying ourselves, one, we're learning more. And two, this is what life is supposed to be about. Is life is supposed to be about having fun and enjoying ourselves and not taking ourselves so seriously. So Chief Troublemaker was something that as I got into consulting and realized that I was coming in and making trouble for people, <laughs> helping them change, basically, wow, totally. it was a yeah. way to laugh at myself a little bit and just say, let's not take all this so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we'll get into that part as well, because for every enterprise marketing strategic deployment or even formulation, there is always an aspect of that. I've had other accounts from other speakers on ways of approaching that book. Uh, I don't want to digress too much. I would like us to send a professional greeting card to Joe Poluzzi. So can you please tell me a little bit more, tell us a little bit more about your working relationship, both of you, and how you guys have formed this eternal, professional, maybe some personal relationship. You guys are kind of like the avispector and micros of, of the marketing space. I'm quoting the movie. Uh, yeah, by. as we often say, Joe takes all my good ideas and basically it does successful things with them. In all seriousness, we met in 2008 and he was, as I mentioned, he was coming, he was just starting out his uh, entrepreneurship with Content Marketing Institute. And at that case, in, in those days, he called it Junta 42, which was his consulting firm that he wanted to launch and really be a matchmaker with brands and publishers. And then he got the idea for Content Marketing Institute and he called me after we'd met and we'd had a few steak dinners and many bottles of wine. And we started talking about content marketing and the future and what we were doing. And I was at the time just figuring out what I was doing coming off of my CMO gig. He said, hey, do you want to go all in on this thing, this content marketing thing? And I said, sure, that sounds great. And remember, in 2008 and 2009, the, we thought the world was coming to an end, right? I mean, banks were going bankrupt. The world was an economic shambles, and it was all very, just very stressful. But we dove in headfirst, and we always got along as friends. We've been friends for from the minute we met each other and really just see eye to eye on so many things. And so... As friends, we said, hey, let's, let's write our first book together. So we, in 2010, we wrote our first book together called Managing Content Marketing. And as we were writing that book, I started doing more of the consulting work and he started being CEO of Content Marketing Institute. And I helped drive some of the strategy for that. And we were really, you know, 
partners for six years from 2010 till 2016 till he to the acquisition of the company came and that was our focus really was just to keep keep growing and keep CMI doing very well as I started to build this consulting practice and we started a podcast in between and so in 2016 after the acquisition he took a little bit of time off and took a little bit of a sabbatical and and then we brought the podcast back so we've been doing the podcast for 10 years as well and we also wrote the killing marketing book together which was which was our second book together and yeah we've just been really great friends for the last now it's coming up on almost 15 years but yeah yeah, I heard that on, there was an episode when it was maybe your birthday or a day before your birthday, I wasn't sure. That was when you mentioned how long your episode that your podcast has been. And I thought that, yeah, marketing leadership, <laughs> there's your target. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Which is scary. Yeah. So into the topic now, I want to latch on what you said last with regards to the Killing Marketing book. I've read it. It's awesome. I'm not very good at reading, <laughs> so I will confess what I yeah. listen to was an audio book. <laughs> but I will listen again and again because Epiphany are always it's always a very interesting emotion to have. Oh my God, they've been saying this long before we knew it. And now we're now knowing it. So when it comes to for my career, for example, I'm obsessed with simplicity and efficiency. And there were a few things from that book, The Killing Marketing, that I extracted for the purpose of this topic. And the stick going back to the troublemaker theme here, when you reach, it's normal for us as creatures to be, we love habits, we love systems, we love to do things the way it's always been. And change, it is not easy. We defend what we love, even though it's not, but we do. And I wonder with all your years, almost three decades now, all your years of experience with digital transformation for content strategies. Again, there's an intelligence, intelligent aspect to this. Okay. How do you work with marketers to make sure that they are applying content strategy the right way without their ego being involved? And you can spin this however you would like. It's, there are two things that I would mention. The first is, if we go all the way back, and we both appreciate the classics in terms of marketing education, and Philip Kotler, who is a mentor and one of my heroes when it comes to marketing, he's professor of marketing, emeritus from Northwestern University, and has written, literally written the textbooks on marketing for the last 50 years. And one of the things that he said that I think is so important was he was defining marketing. This was the early 2000s when he was writing one of his books. And he defined marketing and he said, the whole thing is about the creation and the communication of value to a target market at a profit. And he called it CCDVTP. And I always remembered that because it's the creation and communication of value. And the way he expands on that is he says, look, the purpose of marketing is not to establish ourselves in the marketplace as a differentiated brand or as our, our products and features have more than the competitors or whatever. He said, the true mission of marketing is to deliver that value to a target market at a profit, meaning delivering value is important. So he calls it not beyond mind share and beyond heart share. It goes to what he calls spirit share, where you're creating a trust and a relationship with a potential consumer that 
they want to hear from you. And there is a share of spirit between the two of you, the consumer and the, and the business where you're creating trust. At some point, they will, if you create that trust, they will purchase whatever it is you have for sale. And that becomes a different sort of vision or a different mission for marketing. And it's really the heart of what we think of when we think of content marketing. And then when I say, okay, the application of that, how do you actually apply that mission in a business? It's all about the activities that we do, right? It's what we prioritize for our team, ourselves, what content we create, the active, what we measure, what we, the campaigns we create, all of those things. Those are the activities of marketing. And so it's literally pushing our ego aside and getting into that customer-centric frame of mind, the customer's experience, so that we can deliver the value that delivers that spirit share. So I think if marketers start there, start at that point, you can't help but move your ego or the brand's business or talking about ourselves in a boastful way or whatever it is, you can't help but just move that aside because all you're thinking about is how do I deliver value to that target market? And getting you to deliver value to that target market in a way that also benefits your business, that's the modern job of, of a marketing strategy. Yeah, I recall that acronym in your book as well. And I think you're right. I've probably said this too many times. Brian, our producer, is going to be very fed up with me. But I did speak to Brian Kramer some time ago. And he said, when it comes to marketing, he said two things. First thing was that engagement is the greatest KPI. No matter what KPI, top, middle, bottom, underground funnel, engagement is the greatest KPI. But what he said, which is most important, is when it comes to marketing, in alignment with what you said, when it comes to marketing, always focus on the value or the impact, not the outcome. You deliver impact by providing value. And through that process, there might be some sort of an outcome. Uh, you, you wanted to add a few things? I would agree. I know Brian very well. He's a very good man and a very deep thinker when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I agree with what he said. The, I guess what I would add to that is it, it is important because we typically in marketing and sales measure the wrong things, right? What we typically measure is that outcome, like what transaction did we create? from a message or from a campaign or from a piece of content instead of measuring what's the impact on the audience. And if we start looking at measuring the impact on the audience that we have targeted this message to, good things happen, right? In other words, so often what I hear in, if you think about marketing measurement for a second, right, marketing measurement is usually measured in a very simple equation, which is basically revenue over cost. And so you say, okay, how much did it cost for us to create this much revenue? And that's too simplistic for marketing because what ends up happening is, as you say, we created a hundred leads, right? I created a hundred leads, but that didn't create any revenue. Or I created a thousand interested people who are now aware of our product and service, but that didn't create any revenue. So as far as the CFO is concerned, creating that impact on the audience doesn't have any financial value, but of course it does. It does have financial value. You just haven't measured it yet. It's potential value. And so we've got to come up with a way 
in order to show what that potential value that we're adding to the business is as marketers. And so the way to do that in a cohesive and understandable way to everybody in the business is to measure the impact we're having on audiences. Because if you create great impact on audiences, you will affect a positive business outcome. May not be today, but it will be, it will at some point. Yeah. I love what you said there in terms of potential. I would even add the word. Sustainable is another good word for it. Yeah. uh, Revenue generation. Yeah. And something else that is well known about you is your pragmatic approach to content strategies. The problem is not that we don't create content. The problem is there is content overload. People talk about ChatGPT these days, but I think the amount of content humans are producing in 2023, is it's going to put ChatGPT on its heels. If that's the truth. It's just so much out there. No direction spray and and pray, as they say. And now you are coming up with pragmatic content strategies. What are the ingredients to that? What are those things that marketers or listeners need to take note when developing a content strategy that needs to be pragmatic to be profitable? You know, it's, it's in a world of AI generated content, automated generation of content. Look, there's been too much content for us to consume all the way back to when Gutenberg invented the printing press, right? So there's always been too much content for us to ever consume. And so the challenge of rising above the noise has always been there. It's just more democratized now, right? Because all of us are producing that content instead of a few people. In other words, we're competing now against social media and people who post their breakfast online versus the people who you know, all of those things that you're competing with everything now. So it is noisier, but rising above the noise is a challenge that we've always had. And so the real question is, how do you pragmatically do that? And of course, the simple and too simple of an answer is just be really good, right? Just create really good content. And what I used to say is you need to produce enough content, you know, produce as much content as you can be good at. Um, And I think that's wrong because when we create really great content, we, by nature, we're going to create less of it because it's just, you can't be remarkable every day. You can't be amazing every single day. It's just not possible. And so what we have to do is turn that around and say, what's the impact that I want to create? How much do I need to create the impact that I want to create? And how do I best create that impact in a focused way. And of course, the answer to that is you have to get really niche these days. You have to really understand that audience, the specific audience that you're trying to reach and what it is you're trying to reach them with. Because if we're lazy, if we just say, this is for everybody, or our customer is everybody, or our our audience is everybody, or it's all men, or it's all women, or it's everybody under the age of 35, that's lazy. And it just means that you're going to have to pierce the noise even further in order to make your your differentiation known. But if I start looking at my audience and I go, I'm looking for this person who cares about this, who is really searching for that, and I really get specific and I really focus in on it, I'm going to create great content for that particular person and those particular people. And if we're doing such in, in a way where our point of view or our story 
is different than what's being told out there, whether it's through search or social or however you're distributing your content, you're going to pierce the noise. And then listening to how your content is being consumed and what people are saying and what the conversations are to really understand how do I evolve that over time? Think about content marketing isn't new. It's been around for years and years and years, way before Joe and I started really evangelizing it. But it was in 2010 when we said, we really want to focus in on marketers who are trying to differentiate their brand and operate more like media companies and really get into building an audience and focus, focus. That's when we started to pierce the noise and find an audience that wanted to hear from us. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's probably at this point, 2019 or something like, or 2018, 2017, 2018, when I, Listen to one of your podcast episodes with Mike Stelzner about this whole demand generation trend. And like we're saying off the mic, in terms of content customer experiences, that has been the trend these days, especially with like marketing leaders. Those who are upcoming are still grappling with AI, but those are the marketing leadership stratosphere, if I would say that, talking about whether it's B2B, mostly B2B, but mostly in some cases B2C, demand generation, no-click content, and so on and so forth. And then has been a, there has been a huge rise of that. Again, we have a lot of the, let me use the word breakfast, maybe I'm guilty of that sometimes, breakfast posts on LinkedIn saying, We've generated a lot of B2B or B2C revenue because of the content or showing education or thought leadership. This has always been there. In fact, like you said, you've been talking about this since 2010. Your book came out in 2017, which was a second attempt at expressing that. But like I said, and I've said this in, on, on posted this online, many people don't know that in the movies, Industry, that has always been the system. So why are Marvel movies a big deal? It's not because they are great stories necessarily, but because the end goal is to sell more Avenger toys. It's to uh, G.I. Joe, for example. Tomb Raider, for example. I can go on and on on how movies were made specifically to drive the sale of games, to drive the sale of toys to drive the sale of one thing or the other that has been there since time memorial. That is just, you know, one good example. But my question is this, are you happy that marketers finally get it? Let's leave the marketers who are claiming the clear 15 minutes of fame. I think you guys really evangelized it. And are you happy that they finally get it? We finally get it. The short answer to that is yes. But it's a little more complicated than that because what I would say is the idea of content marketing is one that took off. I am a student and I am a fan and I love marketing. I love everything about marketing. I have loved everything about it since I got into it in the early 90s. And so from a transformation of how marketing operates, I'm really happy about it because I've always believed that marketing as a profession is as artistic and scientific as the the most important professionals that we have in the world. So I believe that marketers, and, and again, I don't take myself too seriously, so I don't mean this in any trying to take myself more seriously than you might think. 
but I believe that marketing as a science and art is as important as doctors and lawyers and all of those kinds of things. And so when we talk about marketing as an evolution, I'm really happy that this idea of delivering value through storytelling and through content has taken off because it's gotten us out of the sort of cheap hack, uninteresting marketing and advertising that prevailed for so much of the early parts of the 2000s and late 90s. And so from that perspective, I'm really happy. From the other perspective, I would say that the more complicated part of that answer is, I think we're still getting it. I don't think we've many businesses, at least a lot of the businesses I speak to, are still struggling with this. And a lot of it is in the, how do you operationalize this in a way that it really does mean one of the things that often gets mistaken is when we talk about content marketing, people go, ah, we're supposed to be marketing ourselves like a media company, like a movie company. We're supposed to be marketing ourselves that way. So no, no, movie companies and production studios, they're sometimes bad at marketing too, right? They, they put out bad ads and they put out bad marketing and they're just as the key of understanding content marketing is how does a business operate like a media company? How does it treat content like a true asset, building audiences as a true asset. So it's changing the operation of how the business works, not necessarily just what it says. And I think that's the piece that is we still struggle with so much in, in business is operating more like a media company instead of just acting like one. That makes sense. And of course, me giving that example shows from a principal perspective, right? We I had a discussion with a guest earlier who said, a company produces beer and in the production process, they have this waste, like a slag or something. They found out that the waste could be used to make bread. So basically, they, whilst they did not say, okay, bread is our second product line because all we do is sell beers and get you drunk. This bread is something that we need to do. We need to get involved with. It still ties with our target audience and we could use that as a means to even communicate socially when you look at social impact campaigns, for example. So that's one way that some people do things like this. Some people just go way out of what they offer. So for example, if I'm promoting always or creating a media or content ecosystem around your sanitary health might make sense. But what some companies also do in some cases, is to just really go out of their way or go out of their core business lines or models and stick to what their brand essence is and then create a product based around that and just drive it as much as possible. I mean, it's not easy work. It is not magic. It's marketing, like they typically would say. But I, I think I agree with you on the, with the fact that a lot of work still needs to be done. And I personally think it shouldn't be rushed. We marketers sometimes, somebody tells you you need to take this drug, you rush to the pharmacy, you buy it, you don't see the doctor first. It goes without saying that aspects need to be considered or at least the rush needs to be addressed. I'd like us to go a bit tactical here. And while I'm personally not a fan of news jacking, the podcast content is always evergreen, we cannot ignore technology. And with te in terms of creating content-driven customer experiences, 
I have been thinking a lot about personalization in general. With ads, some it's a bit the technology when it comes to like AI and stuff like that is a, is a lot better from what it used to be. But I am thinking of a future with dynamic websites, app experiences, email experiences, whereby, for example, AI is able to communicate with CRMs and create a lot of multi-moment personalized communication. But in general, how do you see the future of creating this content-driven customer experiences, very profitable ones, which are listeners already know by now, how do you see the relationship between that and technology and the fact that this marriage is able to help drive profitable marketing at scale? I think we're going to see, look, it's a question mark, I think is the short, is the headline there. It's a question mark because, look, we've been talking about personalization and targeted content for 20 years. And as I like to say, personalization is really the sexiest thing that nobody does. And it's other than e-commerce company, e-commerce companies figured out that this is important, right? And so e-commerce companies have sorted this and have created personalized experiences that present you with the catalog and you love this, you bought that, so you might want to buy this. So with the exception of Mm e-commerce, the rest of us from a content perspective and from a website perspective haven't done it, right? Haven't done it. And so I'm not sure that AI is going to make that any better. What I love about AI and generative AI specifically is its ability to free us from the derivative content that we have to create so often, the webinar abstract or the synopsis of this meeting or the podcast translation or translation and localization across a global organization. Yeah. And so it's great for that, right? Creating derivative content that we all have to create and hopefully freeing us up to create the more impactful storytelling, creative content that humans are better at creating. That said, we're already starting to see that bad actors, I would say, are creating whole informational websites automatically generated and automatically managed by AI bots And I think that's going to just add more to the noise. It's just going to get harder for us, again, to pierce that noise of of insanity. And so it's I'm a bit of both worlds about it, right? It's we I think the opportunities that we have with AI automation and personalization becoming slightly easier. It's not a lot easy. It's like it's still hard for most businesses to get personalization going for their web content. But the I think AI will help, but but really also it'll it'll be both right. It'll be two sides of a coin, right? It'll help in some ways, and it'll also hinder us in others. And so I think it's still a question mark of whether personalization really becomes uh, a much bigger thing than it is now with e-commerce and apps. Yeah. Well, so in response to that, I want to go back to something you said earlier. So do, will it be great then to stick to the basics in terms of? knowing what to do from a communication perspective and like some of the things you said about looking at the business model or, or the business operations. And now you can make a customized business case for a content media experience or a content media division, however we want to think about that. Would you say for now, that's what we have until 
uh, we're able to strike a balance. I would say this. I would say it's it's important for us to have an, and this goes for businesses large and small, even solopreneurs like myself, to understand the technology, right? So I'm you know, experimenting with AI. I'm working with it with our clients. We're looking at how it integrates into workflow and can help a marketing team get better at what they're doing. Not we're not looking at it how it replaces talent. We're rather looking at it for how it can help the existing talent do their jobs better. So we're always looking at technology in terms of the ways that it helps us do the basics better. And I like to take that approach, right? Which is looking at the existing landscape of technology and then the new stuff that's on the horizon is balancing and saying, if we first understand what the basics are, in other words, if we first understand what our strategy is, then technology plays a very specific role. It plays a role in terms of a tool. It helps us be more efficient or effective at the basic job that we need to do. And that's where technology really pays dividends is when it helps us accelerate or expand or scale an activity that we're doing that fits within our strategy. Where we see so many businesses go wrong is they look at technology as the strategy, right? So they say, ah, I need to get a digital asset management system, or I need to get a personalization system, or I need an AI system because we need to fit in a strategy where AI fits or where personalization fits or whatever. And we haven't sorted that yet, right? You're, now you're using the technology to set your strategy instead of the other way around. And we much prefer, I much prefer, let's set our strategy. Let's understand what the basics are, understanding our total addressable market, all the marketing sort of core classic bits. Where are we you know, positioned? Where are we priced? How are we get reaching those audiences? understand all those activities and then go, great, how can technology, new and old, help us scale those efforts? And I think that's the real key to focus on right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Earlier in, in this, during this series of episodes for this season, I spoke to Neil Schiffer, I probably know him, and he said people usually put tactics first yes, before indeed. strategy. Because it, it's easy to think about tactics, right? Strategy takes time. You have to go through all the process. Also spoken to Rand Fishkin, who has been a great locator of customer research. And he keeps saying why people ignore research and just keep over to tactics. So if you're listening right now, uh, there are a couple of recurring themes through our episodes on the Marketing Leadership Podcast. And, and, and I think this is one of them. I live a bridge strategy today. It's part of what I do at work. And I see that every day. And that is sticking to the strategy first and then using all these things that we think of strategy, which are actually tactics, as enablers for the strategy to work. Let's not forget there is where you want to be and where you are and the how. So it's important not to mix that up where we are when we are really in the weeds of this process. I want us to look at another um a bit of a tricky angle here, but it might be worth looking at. And that is marketing intelligence when it comes to content-driven customer experiences. The first thing is this, I'm thinking about. When you consult with brands and you are consult, and I know this about any respect marketer like yourself, that marketing has really evolved. So it's, it's really becoming a commercial role right now, whereby sales, transformation, even service are always together 
to making sure that the entire journey is satisfied when it comes to like customer journeys. So how do you work in between departments to make sure that this content campaign initiative or media unit is delivering commercial value across boards? And is there a way you assist in showing leadership visibility to that? When it comes to it's such a great question and a really hard one, it, it is it is probably the biggest challenge that we work with our clientele, which is a how do you know what and how much content is getting produced for any one stage of the customer's journey, and two, how do you then provide visibility to the entire organization for that, because. The challenge that's happened, and this is especially true in larger businesses, and technology has a lot to do with this, which is as we've gotten siloed from each other in marketing, because of the technology, it's usually segmented or siloed across the customer's journey. In other words, you have a brand team that produces content for the brand awareness part of the journey. You have a demand gen team that creates it for the lead generation part of the journey. You have a sales enablement team that creates content for sales enablement. You have a customer service team that produces content for the loyalty programs. And so you've got all these different teams creating content, usually without knowledge of each other, for all these various siloed parts of the journey. And so is it any wonder that a lot of it is duplicative, Sometimes it disagrees with each other that the business really has no idea how much is getting produced and there's no connection point between them, right? And so one of the first things that we talk about is that over the last 20 years, what we've learned is that you're not, we're not, no one is really going to de-silo the, the company, right? There's just, it's just too hard. It's too hard to de-silo a big siloed marketing team. But what you can do is you can de-silo the process. In other words, you can provide visibility either through calendaring or workflow tools. You can provide metrics and intelligence. You can provide commu better communication mechanisms and people to focus on those communication methods where we may only be creating content for brand awareness or we may only be creating content for sales enablement, but we're talking about it. We're meeting together. We're joining it together. We can see a joined content calendar. We can see a common digital asset management view. We can So the business can actually see what's going on. That's the first. The, the, the metaphor that I often use is air traffic control. The very first step is understanding all the planes in the air. Even if you don't control them all, if you can see all the planes in the air, you've taken a huge step to organizing your brand voice and, and all of the content. The second step is to then say, okay, which of these planes do we need to control and make sure that they don't crash into each other? So solve the first step first, and then the second step, and it will come thereafter. Now we can start doing things like measuring apples to apples and making sure that we've got good intelligence about what's really working and where the attribution belongs and, and all those kinds of things. So de-siloing that process is the most important first step. Yeah, I like your operational angle to this. So operations first and then process next before we even get to intelligence. And I think that's probably a great way to do it. Getting to that promised land and by promised land, just like you said, it's very difficult to de-silo when it comes to intelligence for these customer-driven experiences. 
but having that step approach gets you closer to what you need to drive these marketing initiatives forward and deliver the kind of value that you want to. Yeah, Before it's, it's, it's what, I think it's Taiichi Ono, who was the obviously the inventor of the Toyota method, the process of the Toyota method, who said, with no standards, there can be no improvement because you don't know what you're improving, right? You, there, you, so you have to establish those standards and those processes first before you know what needs to be improved. Yeah, good thinking, good product. I think that was an old Toyota advertisement when I was a little kid. Before I let you go, there are a few, there is one more question. And whether we like it or not, we have to measure everything. <laughs> and when it comes to content-driven customer experiences, we want to measure the effectiveness of our pragmatic strategy and how that has become profitable. So from the campaign itself to the potential or actual profitability, are there pitfalls that you want us to avoid, whether it's operationally or in terms of how we look at the data and act on it or anything in between that you think might help us marketers going forward, especially when we try to, again, I'll go back to managing expectations. People will tell you, for example, where I come from in Nigeria is a very common content strategy for banks to have TV productions. So there's like TV station and they're going to they will make series, drama, they do all that stuff. And my question then, and which always happens is that the management is always coming back to say, okay, you're doing all this where are we getting with it? How do we measure the profitability? Sometimes they are not patient about it. Maybe that's something also you want to address. But yeah, what are some of the pitfalls that you want us marketers to avoid when analyzing content optimization or this content experience? This one's an easy one because it's also one that we work with all the time with, with clients, which is, and it's the biggest pitfall that we see, which is a lack of objectives. In other words, the way we often look at it is we measure everything and then we start looking for the success, right? In other words, we can measure traffic, we can measure conversions, we can measure everything we can measure. We can measure emails, open rates, we can measure click-throughs, we can measure downloads of white papers, we can measure views of ads, we can measure click-through from ads, we can measure all these things. So we go, let's just do all these things and then measure which ones get the most stuff, and that stuff is meaningless unless it has an objective assigned to it because that's the whole thing. When, and this goes all the way back to the top of the show when we talked about Kotler, when he said CCDVTP, com create, communicate, and deliver value to a target market at a profit, the profit being the key thing there. And the only thing that can tell you whether you're profitable is did you meet an objective? And we so often in marketing don't have agreed upon objectives. And what I mean by that is literally an, a goal or an objective for a campaign, for a piece of content, for a platform, for our website, for whatever the thing is that we want to measure. What is the objective of it? What is the objective of it? And then underneath that to say, great, now that we have this agreed upon objective, we say, this is what success looks like. Now we have to, we also have to agree on what are the metrics that define that we've achieved that objective. It, this is a long way of saying basically we, I really love OKRs as a methodology of uh, measurement 
but it's the objective part of the OKRs that are the most important. It's easy to back into things, right? It's easy to go, oh, here are all the metrics we're tracking. And so therefore, all these metrics mean we're getting more ad spend efficiency or we're getting better traffic to our website. So the content must be working. And then you go, okay, but so what? What objective is that helping us achieve? And so starting there and then building your key results and the metrics that you need to prove or to illustrate that you've met that objective is the key of putting together any measurement program. Yeah, absolutely. What I'll add to that is, and I've said this many times on the show, marketers are used to extreme fixes. So we also need to be, yeah, we also need to be very careful on what we do because of objectives. And I'll give you a very good example. This happens in video marketing a lot. Oh, Mr. Beast uses this kind of thumbnail. So I'm going to do the same. No research on what my audience would like or don't like. It's really just copying and things like that. I can go on and on the kind of, well, not necessarily mark practices, but just the kind of wrong things that people do. Or another example is going viral. Oh, this person did this to go viral. Okay, I will do the same thing, which is why on TikTok, people are pulling extremely dangerous pranks because they know others are doing it to go viral. So it's important for us as marketers to strike the balance. I am often a fan of averages because averages are always a key to engagement. Remember what I said about Brian Kramer. Averages help whether you have low budgets, high budgets, or whatever it is. The average will always determine what your level of scalability is. It sometimes is much harder to achieve, but it's always a good to consider. And when there is progress with averages, it's something that you can use to communicate with leadership. And they are often encouraged to focus on averages or progress of those averages versus targets that may or may not get you fired. So I just wanted to add that to that. Robert, uh, yeah, it is. And I'm really grateful for everything that you've shared so far. Premium marketing wisdom as usual. It's, I hope by the time we meet again on this show, marketers will finally get it. So you said they are getting it. So I hope they do get it. And we are all successful together. Where can our enterprise leaders hire well, you? Yeah. If they need help. Very good to ask that. So the website is probably the best place to connect for that sort of thing. That's contentadvisory.net. Contentadvisory.net is our website. And then of course, LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn user. So we're happy to connect with anybody there as well. Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening, please do that. That's all for today, guys. And thanks for listening. Please don't forget to see more episodes like this released every week at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe. Subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast listening device. But if you don't have a favorite, just check Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. Brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.